of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll read the first 11 verses of Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, if you're uh, with us just this morning, uh, you're visiting or you weren't with us last week, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we're glad that you're here to worship with us. We hope that you uh, see Jesus um, during the month of December, we are working through a four, I guess you would say four-part sermon series on the benefits of Christ's coming. Uh, now, certainly, hopefully you know, and even if you don't, I hope you're about to hear uh, that one of the, uh, the main benefits of Christ's coming is certainly salvation to his creation. Uh, that he sacrificed his life for. He gave up his um, kingliness. He gave up his glory. He gave, set it all aside um, to be crucified on the cross to pay for our sins. And while that is an immense benefit, an immense blessing um, for uh, those who believe in Christ, there are other benefits as well. Uh, last week, we talked about the restoration that Christ's coming brings about, not only in our lives, but also in creation. And so, Christ, a benefit of Christ's coming um, is that he brings restoration. This week, uh, I hope that you'll be able to see that another benefit of Christ's coming is that he brings hope and comfort. Hope and comfort. I, I don't know, you know where you might be today. Uh, but at some stage in life, we all need uh, to be hopeful, uh, especially when things are dire, uh, when things are difficult, um, when life is challenging, which it all too often is. Um, we need hope and we need comfort. And so I hope we'll see that from Isaiah's prophecy uh, this morning. Um, we're going to read the first 11 verses of Isaiah chapter 40. This is God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, has, warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen. May the Lord write his truce on our heart. Let's pray. Father, our deepest desire uh, this morning is that you would unsop our ears and that you would open our eyes and that you would clear before us the things that uh, distract us or um, cause us to wander, Lord, and you would enable us to see you, to see you in all your splendor, to see you in all your glory, to see uh, the beauty of who you are and what you've done. Uh, Father, we ask that you would show us the benefit of who your son Jesus is, and would you, through your spirit, apply that to our hearts so that we walk out of this place today different, so that we're changed and we become more like our Savior Jesus. We ask that, that you would do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever said this phrase? If I'd only known then what I know now. And maybe it is that some of you who are younger, maybe you don't have enough years yet to have garnered enough information or knowledge or things like that to be able to look back on your life and say, man, if I'd only known then what I know now. How would you respond? If you really did actually know then what you know now, how would you respond? Would you change something? Would you make a, would you make a different decision? Uh, would you be uh, less angry? Uh, would you refrain from this? Uh, or would you think differently about that? Would you ask more or better questions? Um, would you have learned from your mistakes? Would you do more? See, the 2020, there's, there's a hindsight. Uh, there's a hindsight, the, the nature of uh, hindsight is 2020. It's instructive and it's humbling and it changes us. Uh, does it not? But what if someone told you that there is an event in your future that drastically changes your now? There's an event in your future that drastically changes your now. Like, I don't know, like maybe you're going to get a, a sizable scholarship, and that scholarship is going to change the course of your future study and your education and even uh, maybe your occupation. Maybe you're going to get a sizable inheritance or something of that nature that will change uh, the course of the way uh, you live. Would it give you more hope if you knew that? along the process. You see, I think that's the beauty of Isaiah chapter 40 is that hope for something, is that Isaiah is calling God's people to hope for something uh, that they can't now see. 
to hope for something and to hope in something uh, that they can't now see. I heard a pastor friend describe hope as this. You know, hope is one of those um, words that we use that's really hard to define. Um, it's, It's hard to put a good definition on hope. We often just describe how we feel. I heard a pastor friend describe hope as this. When the good news is louder than the bad. When the good news is louder than the bad. When the good news drowns out or overshadows uh, the bad. I think this is the essence of Isaiah 40. And the benefit of Jesus' coming is that we have hope. That there really is good news that is louder than the bad. I want us to look at um, Isaiah 40 through three lenses. Uh, the first, consequences are real. If you're, if you're a note taker, these will kind of be our headings. Uh, consequences are real. Hope is loud. And then we'll have two takeaways. Uh, so that's how we'll look through Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, First, consequences are real. Isaiah is known as a pre-exilic prophet, uh, meaning that before Israel goes into exile, Isaiah is telling them it's going to happen. He's telling them beforehand um, that He's speaking to God's people, and he's telling them that your descendants a hundred years from now are not going to be in this land. They're not going to have the benefits of uh, this place. His message, if you were to read through uh, Isaiah's uh, prophecy in chapters 1 through 39, uh, the book tells us about how Israel is going to be conquered how their city, Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed and they're going to be carried off into these foreign um, lands as captive. Why? Well, it's because of Israel, their descendants, uh, their future. It's because of their unfaithfulness. It's because uh, they keep turning away from their first love and turning towards other gods and the things of the world. But when we get to chapter 40, Isaiah shifts his tone a little bit. He shifts his trajectory, if you will, and changes uh, uh, from um, telling his people, rather, I, rather than turn, I, I'm calling you to turn back to God. Turn back to God. That's, verses, that's chapters 1 through 39. Turn back to God. Turn back to God, to God. When we get to chapter 40, Isaiah shifts and says, because you won't turn back to God, Then, tell your descendants this is what it's going to be like. Uh, Tell your children and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids that there is still hope in the one uh, true God, even if it's difficult to see and feel. Uh, That's the message uh, for uh, Isaiah, for for his people. This is what the future is going uh, to look like. So they can hope and find comfort uh, when there's no, when it seems hopeless and when they're in an uncomfortable uh, place. He's telling them that there is good news that is louder than the bad. I think the same message could probably hold true for us today. Um, that as we move forward, as we continue to live, uh, that as things, in some senses, continue to look more dire, um, 
is there hope that is louder than the bad? Well, that's what Isaiah says. Uh, second, there is hope that is so loud. Um, and he, we see this in four voices. If you look at this passage with me, there are four voices telling God's people, hold on to this. Hold on to this because if you don't, you'll be tempted to despair. Okay, so four voices in chapters 1 through 11. Look at verses 1 and 2 first. God speaks with tender comfort. So God's voice first. He speaks with tender comfort. There will be a day when the children and the grandchildren of Isaiah's hearers will wonder if God really cares about them anymore. If he's forgotten them, if they have a future as a nation because exile and warfare and the pain of sin always have been God's grace, always have been God's gracious way of saying, come home. That's always been God's means and methodology to call his people back to himself when they wander and stray is exile and hardship and difficulty. It's not because God's mean, it's because he wants to be with his people. And Isaiah is saying, when you are away, when you are in exile, it'll soon be over. Why? Because the Lord has seen fit to pardon your iniquity. You see that in verse two, the Lord has seen fit uh, to pardon iniquity, not because Israel paid for all of her sins, but on God's good grace, he has doubled down on his call to call them back to himself and he sees fit to call them uh, back home. God, in spite of sin, is tenderly saying, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to bring you hope. In verses three through five, you see the second voice. Verses three through five, a voice says the way is clear. Now, notice the language. Isaiah is using a creation language to say, I'm gonna make everything level. Valleys will go up, mountains will come down. The desert, there will be a straight way instead of wandering. Right, So there's a clear path before you so that you can see uh, the Lord. Look in verses 3 through 5. That the glory of the Lord will be with his people and it will be clear. These verses may ring a bell uh, in your mind, especially when you look at um, chap Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 3, speaking of John the Baptist. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare uh, the way of the Lord. The third voice is in uh, verses six through eight. Uh, look with me there. A voice says that there will be a faithful guide. God's word will be his people's uh, guide. It's steadfast, it's faithful. And Isaiah says, your faithful, consistent, steady guide will, have, will be and always has been uh, God's uh, word. And certainly, Isaiah means God's trustworthy, faithful, written word. But isn't that also going to change tenors when we get to John chapter 1? And the word is more than a written word. It is now a word that has been made flesh. The fourth voice in verses 9 through 11 is our voice. 
or Israel's voice. Isaiah is saying this hope is going to be real. And when you know it and when you feel it and when you see it and when you believe it, you need to run up on the mountaintops and exclaim it. Uh, look with me again. He, he's calling for Jerusalem to go spread this news throughout Judah. Oh, Zion, herald of good news. This beautiful um, imagery that would echo into uh, Israel's life. And then he uses this overwhelmingly sweet and tender language in, in verses 10 and 11 of God's righteous right arm being strong enough to have power to overthrow enemies but also to gather up lambs and hold them so near and so uh, dear. It's, it's our voice proclaiming uh, what God has done for us. So Isaiah's message is despite what you see and feel, there's hope and there's comfort. He seems to be saying your experience is going to look and feel very different than I want you to believe because there's something more true. There's something more uh, loud than uh, what you see and feel. I think there are a couple of takeaways um, for us in this passage. A couple of takeaways from these voices, a couple of takeaways from uh, the place that Israel finds herself uh, now, currently, and in the future uh, as Isaiah's writing here in chapter uh, 40. The first is pretty simple, maybe too simple. Uh, the first is we're not enough. We're not enough. And I think there's a genuine acknowledgement that Isaiah is holding before his people. And at its core is an acknowledgement of dependence over and against independence. Underneath Isaiah's words of hope and comfort are four realities. And this is the first, that God's people can't earn their way back to God. We try often, don't we? We try to earn our way back to God. We try to do the right thing. We try to be holy, but it's never enough. And the world certainly says, why would you do that anyways? Why would you try to earn your way back to God? Why would you, why would you not just live the way you want to live? Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, the church has even mistakenly said that you can earn your way back to God. So God's people, we, we struggle um, in that we can't earn our way back to God. Second, we struggle to see clearly the beauty and majesty of God. You see these things are following exactly uh, what is in Isaiah's prophecy. We struggle to see clearly the beauty and majesty of God. There's this clarity throughout creation and throughout salvation that echo to us God is more beautiful, he is more majestic, he has done more for you than anyone else can do, and we struggle to see that. Especially when the world says, just see yourself, right? Just see yourself. God's not that beautiful, especially when he's not fair. It's easier to hate him and blame him for things when, that, when they don't go our way, is it not? And so we struggle to see clearly the beauty and majesty 
of God. Third, we struggle with faithfulness when the truth is right before us. We struggle with faithfulness when the truth is right before us. We've got God's written word and we've got the word made flesh and Jesus is able to parse and dissect every aspect of our lives more consistently than anything else we come in contact with. And the Lord, excuse me, and the world says, just live by your own truth. Just live by your own truth and allow it to be the rubric for which everything you do and don't let anyone else get in the way of that. And so you can see the battle and the struggle um, that we have. We're not enough. And we certainly struggle um, to take part in um, the power and care of the Lord. The power and care. Uh, we're called to make him known. Our self-sufficiency and self-promotion uh, stand in the way of us leaning into the power and uh, the care of the Lord. The, the world says, who needs that? Why in the world would you need God's power and his care? It doesn't make my life, it, I, why would I want it? Why would I need it if it doesn't make my life any easier? Right? And so we lean into our own self-sufficiency and we lean in to our other ways of dealing with things. And Isaiah says, yeah, that's just it. We struggle to lean into the power and care of the Lord. Here's a couple questions maybe for us to think about in the way of application. How often do you say to God, I can't do this? Whether it be a test, <laughs> or whether it be parenting, or whether it be in relation to your job? How often do you say, I, I can't do this. I'm crumbling under the weight of this all. I'm weak and I'm heavy laden and I'm beat down. Is God safe enough for you to confess that? Friends, I think part of leaning into the beauty of God's hope and comfort is acknowledging before him and confessing to him that we're, we're just not enough uh, to love him and to meet the demands of life. We can't do it on our own. We're not enough to love him and to meet uh, the demands of life, which leads to the second takeaway, that God is enough. That God is more than enough, that he has woven into the fabric of Isaiah's words uh, to God's people this beautiful picture. And every place that God's people weren't enough, elsewhere in scripture we find that God says, I am enough. And so when you begin to put these pieces together, it looks like this. You see, when we hold our, not, I'm about to create a word here. When we hold our not enoughness, up against God's enoughness, what is the picture uh, that you see? What is the tapestry that begins to form? Well, when we learn that we can't earn our way back to God, Jesus' perfection can, right? And when we struggle to see God's beauty and majesty in every aspect of our life, Jesus saw the cross clearly, did he not? And was willing to take it on for our sakes. And when we, can't, when we can't remain faithful, even though the truth is right before us, 
Jesus didn't wither under Satan's temptation. He held the truth perfectly. And when we struggle to lean into his power and care, Jesus embodied both sacrifice and resurrection. And so you see, what happens is when our not enoughness is held up to God's enoughness, we're built together in this beautiful tapestry of God making us whole again. This is overly simplistic, uh, but I think it's the line of thought that we see throughout Scripture. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is finished. Behold, he is not here. He is risen. Friends, I hope in your ears that is a loud, 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 resounding, I am enough. I am enough for you. Jesus is enough for our feelings He's enough for our circumstances. He's enough for you. He's enough to help you when you struggle as a parent, when you struggle as an employee, as a boss, as a friend, as a family member. His body and his blood were powerful enough to pay for your guilt and care for your shame. He's the lion and the lamb, the protector and provider. And friends, this table that we come to week in and week out may be no louder picture for us than Jesus saying to us, I am enough. Come to me. Come to me. I am enough. Enough.